following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you, Leah, and thanks to all who have made this service happen today in all the various ways. As I said at the beginning of the service, we are starting a new teaching series that's called Open Doors. And uh, this is a concept that I've been thinking about and contemplating and dreaming about in some ways for years now. And I'm really excited to finally have come to the time uh, to preach this series uh, to you. And it's going to be a six-week-long series where we'll be looking at a book of the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles. And this is stories of the earliest Christians trying to figure out their faith and how this new framework is going to change them and change their communities. And a big part of that for the earliest Christians who were all Jews was figuring out who's going to be allowed to be involved in this new movement. Because the natural tendency was to keep the movement in the family, to keep it, if you will, familiar in the family of God, which to that point had always been understood to be people of Jewish descent, the Israelites. What the early Christians found as they began to spread this movement within their own religious family beyond their initial geographic borders was that the Holy Spirit pushed those boundaries and began to expand the family somewhat. And whenever the early Christians were inclined to keep the doors closed, it seemed that God wanted the doors open. As you can imagine, this caused some real strife in the church. Now, it probably doesn't require uh, too much imagination to predict some of the places that this series might take us. As we think about the church in the 21st century and trying to be a church with open doors, you can imagine some of the barriers and some of the uh, resistance and some of the strife that might be caused by that movement. And so, um, I'm really excited to go through this series with you, and I'm going to give you a quick little highlight of what's coming. It's going to be a six-week series, and I'm going to tell you the weeks that you don't want to miss, um, all of them. <laughs> right? No, but I'm going to tell you basically what we're doing, and, and then maybe you mark your calendars, because I know the reality is nobody's an every-week churchgoer, right? Very few people are. So if, you, if you're going to pick your shots, take a look at this. Um, well, give a listen to this. So today we're talking about Cornelius and Peter. It's too late. You're already here. Um, which is a story of, of early Gentile inclusion. Next week we're going to be talking about the response of the church's leadership to that moment and experience of inclusion. And um, this is going to be an important point of comparison for us as we think about how our own um, family of churches has exhibited leadership or not um, in responding to the movements of the Spirit that we have witnessed. So you you might not want to miss that week. Uh, The third week is April 25th. We're going to be talking about the story of an Ethiopian eunuch, a person of different uh, 
ethnicity, nationality, and of uh, gender nonconformity or of ambiguous gender. All kinds of reasons that they might not be uh, the perfect model convert to the church, and yet they were converted, and uh, the church had to figure that out. Right? So you might be interested in that one. Uh, you might possibly be interested in May 2nd, uh, which is my favorite story from the book of Acts, Acts 15, when the church finally decided, okay, we've got to have a serious meeting about this. Everybody loves a sermon about a meeting, right? <laughs> No, but the, the decision that they made in this council that they called is quite lovely. Now, I've preached on this text a bunch of times, and so um, I decided to ask my friend, uh, Pastor Judy Howard Peterson, if she would preach on that text for us, and she graciously accepted. And so um, we'll get to hear from Pastor Judy on May 2nd about that beautiful story. And then May 9th is the story of Paul in Athens, which is a city that has like this really amazing uh, spiritual whatever man kind of attitude, you know, like as in whatever man. <laughs> um, they, they have altars and idols to everything, including to an unknown God. And it's a very much a service or a, a, a sermon about uh, engaging with people who might describe themselves if they were alive today as spiritual but not religious, right? As many of you might describe yourselves. And your friends might too. And then we conclude the series on May 16th uh, with a beautiful story that I had never noticed. And it wasn't part of my original plan for this until I went and read through the texts again and found that there's incredible, this incredible moment in Acts 18 after the church has been through all this turmoil over their doors being opened too wide for some people's taste. And God gives them such a powerful and beautiful and reassuring promise that there will always be God's people in every city. And I want to speak that promise over you, the artisan community. And so that's, the, that's how we'll conclude the series on May 16th. All right. I recognize that was a pretty long introduction to the series. And, and now I'm going to tell you that the story today is actually a pretty long story as well. And... Um, I actually think that you need to hear the whole thing, that you need pretty much all of the details that are contained in this story. So I'm going to do something to you or, or now with you that I would not normally do on a, on a sermon, which is I'm going to read an entire chapter of Scripture because you need to hear the whole story. Um, the good news is that it, I think it mostly speaks for itself. And so I won't have much to say after the reading, um, but there are th three stunning statements made during the story that I'm going to point out for you. And so maybe as I read Acts chapter 10, you can be listening along and you can guess as we go through, what are the three stunning statements that Scott's going to quote at the end of this reading, right? And if you're on Zoom and want to play along and keep yourself kind of uh, entertained, you might like type into the chat, like, okay, that's definitely one of the three stunning statements, right? Um, I don't know, maybe if you're in your room, you can give an artisan woo or something. I don't know. I'm not saying that for real. Can you still see me if I sit down? Is that a little weird? Am I a disembodied head on Zoom? I'll stay standing. <laughs> that got weird real fast when I looked at the camera there. <laughs> this is Acts chapter 10. Remember, listen for the three stunning statements. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. 
He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. This is Peter, Jesus' disciple. He is lodging with Simon, a different Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. And here I'll just pause to say that this is related to the Jewish dietary laws, which um, would often refer to foods and different activities and items as profane or unclean. Continuing in verse 15, the voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. (laughs) Did you hear all that qualification there? (laughs) It's like, I know we're three Gentiles coming to the house of a Jewish man, and um, here's all the reasons why that's going to be okay, I promise, right? So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging, which was a big deal. Okay, the next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and, falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. 
So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. <laughs> Neither one of them knows what's, what's going on and why they're here. <laughs> why am I here? I don't know. You tell me, right? Uh, almost done here and continuing in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had gone with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. All right. So let's take just a couple of minutes and talk about a few things. Do you have any guesses? You don't have to shut them out or anything, but do you have any guesses about what the three stunning statements might be? I will tell you, but before I do, I want to make one quick observation, which is that the story begins not with Peter, but with Cornelius. The story begins not with the apostle, not with the person who was super-duper close to Jesus already, not with the person who had witnessed the resurrection, not with the person who had been through the ringer already with Jesus, not with the person who had the right parentage and lineage, The story starts with Cornelius. Not only a Gentile, but a Roman, an oppressor. And not just a Roman, but a soldier. And not just a soldier, but a centurion who is in charge of a century of soldiers, a hundred soldiers under his command. The heading that the editors put in, at least in the Bible I read out of it, is, is the story of Peter and Cornelius, but it's really the story of Cornelius and Peter. This is going to be a recurring theme for us, I think, throughout this series. That when we talk about having open doors, or even of opening our doors, to put it in the verb form, it's not about those of us who are in the church being so impressively gracious as to invite outsiders in. More often than not, I think it's going to be about us coming to the realization that the outsiders were already close to God without any help from us. 
So that's a free observation. That doesn't count against the three stunning statements. <laughs> Here's the first stunning statement. See if you got this one. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has called clean, you must not call profane. I could riff on that for an hour, but I do want to make this observation. Peter had a really good reason to call those foods profane. Do you know what the reason was? It was the Bible. It was everything he had ever been taught, everything he had read or memorized from the Holy Scriptures. There was no doubt about this. This was the plain reading of Scripture. Peter was just saying what he thought was like the gimme on the God test. This is the easy one. And God says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. I'm, I'm not going to be particularly interested in beating around the bush or being abstract during this series. The argument against full inclusion of gender and sexual minorities in the church is that the Bible simply won't allow it. Sorry, we love you. All are welcome, but our hands are tied. When I used to work in a cafe, there were rules posted on the wall, and when a customer would get snippety about a rule, I would say, sorry, it's on a sign. I don't know what to tell you. I can't help it. The Bible has been clear about many, many, many things. Clear about the subjugation of women. Clear about the fact that God ordained slavery. That's a real thing. Go read the sermons from all those good, faithful, Bible-believing Christians during the Civil War era. And so maybe what's required of us, what's asked of us, is uh, some humility about how we understand the scriptures. Maybe a little bit of a willingness to hold our interpretations loosely. Paired with a submission to the spirit. And an openness to having our interpretations changed. By what we are seeing God actually doing. And God help us if we call somebody, a human being, profane when God is right in the middle of doing something in and through that holy person. Stunning statement number one is what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Not you shouldn't, not you might want to think twice, but you must not do it. Here's stunning statement number two. Let's see if you got this one as I was reading through it. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Anybody identify that one? I truly understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, if someone is earnestly seeking God, it doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. He goes on to say, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God, right? 
I understand that language of fear is really, it's a hindrance to a lot of us, but I, I, don't, I don't think at all that it means we should be literally afraid of God, right? We could disabuse ourselves of that notion just by the number of times that Jesus says, do not fear, do not be afraid. I'm going to go with Jesus on that, right? So whatever that means, it's not what you might think by fearing God. In fact, the term God-fearer was a specific category of Gentile people who were sort of adjacent to the Jewish practice and faith. They hadn't converted yet because there was a fairly significant obstacle to that conversion, perhaps, or for some other reason. What Peter is saying, he realizes, I, I didn't see it before, but now I do. I see it. Regardless of what the scriptures might have told me or I thought they were telling me, I see it now that God shows no partiality. The way that I would apply this in our day now is to say this. If we are seeing the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in a person's life, that is evidence that they are a godly person. And we don't get to exclude them based on any other criteria. You know the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I miss any of them? Those are the sign. I promise it's not the devil trying to trick you into accepting the wrong person. Anyone who fears God and does what is right, anytime you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in a person's life, that's the sign that you should be looking for. So that's stunning statement number two. Truly understand that God shows no partiality. Here's stunning statement number three. This is the last one. And as, a, as an agent of the church, I, in many ways, find this one to be the most powerful. Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I recognize that's a question and not a statement. <laughs> But it's a stunning statement because it's a rhetorical question. The answer is assumed to be no, of course not. Nobody, of course nobody can withhold the waters of baptizing these people who have experienced and received the Holy Spirit just as we have. On what basis could we possibly imagine withholding the waters of baptism when the Spirit has said yes, we don't get to say no. by the way, I love so much. The story points out that the Holy Spirit fell on the people before Peter was done with his sermon. All of you right now are praying for the Spirit to fall. Get us out of this. He's talking and talking, and who knows how much longer he would have talked before the Holy Spirit said, okay, you've said enough. Bam! Now you're going to see what God is doing. I think these three stunning statements set us up so well for what we're going to experience over the coming weeks in this Open Doors series. And so I'm going to ask you if you will join me in meditating on them. As you think of these moments, will you try to recall to mind the three stunning statements? Can you recall them right now?
What God has made clean, you must not call profane. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I'm running long. We are running long. I'm tempted to cut the next thing in my notes, but I need to tell you that I'm pretty sure that God told me I had to do this. (laughs) And so we'll cut the song that comes after the sermon instead. God didn't tell me anything about that. (laughs) And if you've been around me a long time, you you know that I, I do not say those words often or lightly. But as I close today, I do want to talk for just a moment to people who might be here in the room or with us on Zoom or listening on the podcast later, uh, people who are not in, however that might be defined. So maybe you're not part of a church. Maybe you don't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've been deliberately excluded by religious people. Maybe your family has disowned you or might as well have for all the love that they've shown you. I'm especially thinking today of people who are LGBTQ. But there could be all kinds of reasons that you are not in. And I really do believe that God has asked me to tell you that you are welcome, that you are in. And that maybe today is the day that you need to own that for the first time or in a new way. I'm not trying to boost any numbers or score any religious pastor points here. I I don't care if you ever become a member of Artisan Church or of any church. I actually don't even care if you ever choose to take for yourself the name or title of Christian. Because I know that word is just too toxic for some people ever to accept it for themselves. What I do care about is that you know that you are deeply loved. That you are welcomed at God's table. No matter what anybody has ever told you. Because none of other stuff matters. The church membership doesn't matter. The name that you check on a box for your religion doesn't matter. Whether you call yourself one thing or another doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. To the extent that I have any authority or influence over how God's table is laid out and set here at Artisan Church, I want you to know that you are also deeply loved and welcomed and in here. And that we will acknowledge and celebrate God's welcome of you. It's not for us to offer it to you. It's only for us to join in the celebration, to acknowledge and to stop preventing you. Now, I hope that we as a church will be a good example of the church at its best, that we will have the sensitivity to the spirit that the early Christian church showed in the first century. I hope that this will be a place where you can fully experience life as a child of God, where you are always kept warm from the cold world by the love of Jesus. But even if you never set 
foot in this church again. Even if you never participate online with us in any other way, I want to invite you now to enter through the doorway that God has opened wide to you. Because sometimes we need to say it or do something or like take this concrete action or step to make it real for ourselves. And maybe you need to make it real for yourself. So will you do that now? Will you imagine this door in front of you that God has opened wide? There's room for you. You are loved. Walk through it. Or roll through it. Or dance through it. In the end, whatever decision you make is between you and God. But what I would like to do is hear your story and maybe even pray with you. So if today has sort of maybe unexpectedly just become an important day in your life, would you reach out to me and tell me that? You can email me, scott at artisanchurch.com. You can catch me in the lobby if you're here in the room. Whatever works. I, I promise I'm not going to like put your name on some list or <laughs> sign you up for divinity school or <laughs> anything like that. I just really do want to celebrate with you and tell you that I will never withhold from you the waters of baptism or the bread of communion or any other service of the church or of a pastor. Because you've experience the Holy Spirit just as much as any of us have. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.